Welcome to SimCast, the higher education simulation podcast. My name's Lawrence Hill, and I'm the chair of the simulation group in the School of Health Sciences at UEA Norwich. Hello, everyone. My name's Tony Jeremy, and I'm the academic lead for simulation-based education here at UEA Norwich. So today, we are, in fact, delivering you the second part in our online component of our uh, HSC in Simulation Instructors course. Um, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, this video uh, and the other five in the series are intended to give you all of the necessary background and theoretical understanding so that you can become an excellent simulation educator. So this video is on the simulation faculty. And what we also would like to ask you to do is, is to consider coming to our one day face to face simulation instructors course, which helps to bring all of this online content together. Yeah, we really think it'd be beneficial if everyone comes along to that course. And please get in touch with us, drop us a comment and we'll get in touch with you if you're interested. So we hope you enjoy the video and we hope you do get in touch to, uh, to to arrange a place on one of our courses. But if you are enjoying this video and you do want to stay in touch with the rest of the, the videos in this series, please do uh, like and subscribe to our podcast and make sure you check that notification bell too. So then, Tony, on with the business of today's, uh, today's, today's course. So today, as you said, we're talking about simulation faculty uh, and the intended learning outcomes for this particular session are to recall the key roles of individuals involved in the design and delivery of simulation-based education, to consider how the key roles contribute to delivery of simulation-based education, and to appreciate the complexity of occupying all of these roles within the constraints of healthcare education. Yeah, great. Thank you. So <clears throat> I think one of the first things we can probably do is is kind of go over who we think the main players are in the simulation faculty. Mm -hmm. And what we've done is we've split it into what we would consider conventional academic roles and also non-academic roles. And, and it's just worth bearing in mind that if, you're, if your background isn't academia or a higher education, you might use those terms differently, but I think yeah, you, you might think of those of, academic roles as more like maybe a clinical tutor role yeah, or, or a, a technical role. Yeah, but um, we've we've split them into to two types. So if we look at the academic roles first, mm -hmm. so for us, we think the, the simulation faculty. You've got the simulation director or the coordinator. Mm -hmm. You've got the simulation writer. You've also got the simulation facilitator or instructor, and then you've got. A, a role as a simulation debriefer as well. Mm. And the last learning outcome that we talked about is is understanding the complexity. And, and part of that is because often you've got one person wearing multiple hats, but we're going to look at these roles individually and then, you know, we'll talk about the complexities yeah. of, of what happens when you've only got one person to do everything. Yeah, there's 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 really blurry lines between those, isn't <clears> there, <throat> in the context that, that we're operating, and I'm sure that those listening are operating. But when you talk about a simulation director or coordinator, what are we talking about when we talk about them? So this is the person that kind of brings the whole simulation event together in the first place. It's the person that does a lot of the planning, uh, behind the scenes organizing of the simulation event or series of events, depending mm -hmm. on, you know, how many learners you've got, for example, uh, might be over multiple rooms or, or, or sites. Uh, and the person that sort of brings it all together and, and often on the day is the person that then coordinates everything and makes sure everything works like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, exactly. And it's also that simulation facilitator director role 
is the person who is ensuring that the simulation learning that's taking place is aligned with the rest of the curriculum. Yeah. Like it's the right timing for it. Yeah. Like it's, there's been sufficient theory, um, you know, kind of more maybe classroom based theory to enable that to be a, an effective simulation event. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So again, making sure that their learning outcomes are, are really solid uh, and, and that they apply to the simulation event that's happening. This person is also the person that's probably got the best overall perspective of what should be going on. So on the day, they're going to be the, the go-to person if there are any issues or problems that can help sort of sort and organise things out. So a really important role, mm. a lot of it is is maybe kind of like an almost unsung hero when it comes to actually simulation delivery. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, very, very important role. So in a higher education context, this is likely to be a, a, someone like a module organiser. Yeah, module organiser, course director, that kind of role. The person who's responsible for taking the, the curriculum and, and, and kind of designing it and, in a way that it, it, is, it is then executed, I guess, yeah. uh, you know. Like it's possible in, in, to execute it. Like you've got all of the ducks in a row. Yeah. You've got the you've got the surroundings right. You've got the room right. You've got the information right. Yeah. You've got the team available and you've got the right equipment. So it's that role. It's the The prep work. The prep work, the back like you said, the backstage the unsung hero. Yeah, okay, great. So that's a really important role, clearly. Mm, yeah. But you're not going to have a simulation to do unless you've got someone to write the actual simulation for you. Yeah, absolutely. So again, it, it depends massively on what you're trying to t- achieve through simulation. It might just be one simulation scenario. It might be, you might have a whole morning or a whole day where you're doing multiple scenarios, or it might be you're doing large scale, complex simulation where you've got multiple patient sim- scenarios happening simultaneously. But whatever it is, you need to develop some con- sort of conceptual simulation event to unfold for your learners to then learn from it yeah. and writing that scenario is really important yeah it's kind of the creative aspect isn't mm. it of, uh, and i think that's a really nice thing about simulation is that whoever's occupying that simulation writer role has got the opportunity to you know within the boundaries of what is kind of to be expected in, in a given context to be creative and to use their imagination to devise a scenario or a simulation that allows a learner to meet the intended learning outcomes set out by that simulation coordinator. Yeah, yeah. So who's going to do that role in, in higher education? Now, if I look at myself, and I've, I've been in many situations where I've been that simulation organiser and director because I'm a module leader for, for a programme, I often end up doing the, the writing as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's often the way, isn't it? But I think this can be a shared thing. Absolutely. That yeah. if you've got a, if as the coordinator, you've got a a team of people who are going to be uh, helping to facilitate simulation, going to some of them and asking for ideas around scenarios, or even asking them to write according to a specific template might be a really useful thing to do mm. as well. You know, allowing people to teach a, or to facilitate, I should say, a simulation, which is in line with their expertise. So actually that could be you as the simulation coordinator, but it could also be um, a kind of delegated responsibility to some of the other facilitators on the day, potentially. Yeah, okay. Um, We don't really want to go into too much detail about how to write scenarios, but there are some things that you can do to make your life easier as a simulation writer. So firstly, if you've got a bank of scenarios, previous things that you can kind of dip in and out of, uh, that would be good. So again, if anyone who watching has, uh, has has previous experience of that, got a, a really good way of having banks of scenarios or uh, 
collating and bringing everything together stick a, a comment below we'd be great it'd be great to hear from you from mm. that what i've found anecdotally there's there are lots of great scenarios that are just stuck on various people's computers and various folders and bringing that all together uh, is a piece of work in itself sometimes yeah definitely about. we've toyed with the idea haven't we of having like a, a kind of a bank of kind of kind of simulated character identities and then being able to dip yeah. in and out at different stages of the life course. Yeah, looking, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, having set patients that you kind of use as your basis and then adapting it to your simulation scenario. There's lots of different ways you can do it. We've also looked at using AI yeah. to create simulation scenarios exactly. in a previous episode, which we'll put, put a link to in the top right-hand corner of the screen. Yeah, actually, that was surprisingly useful uh, <laughs> and a little bit scary. But yeah, exactly, that writer's block, getting over that writer's yeah. block, you know, dear chat GPT, can you please write me a scenario around this X topic actually proved to be alarmingly effective. Yeah, yeah. So that's so, the writer, yeah. yeah. So so we, we kind of mentioned the simulation facilitator. And uh, so what, the simulation facilitator role... What's their job? So they make the simulation come to life in, in any given scenario. They're the person responsible for actually probably doing the briefing, the simulation activity or event itself. Mm. Maybe even the debrief as well, but certainly for, for, for the simulation event, making sure it runs smoothly, making sure it goes to plan. If there are certain points within the simulation that are trigger points to to advance the simulation, making sure that all works well, they might have to do some technical component. They might have to operate some uh, patient monitoring or mm -hmm. something like that yeah. to, to again allow the simulation to unfold the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So, they, so they're basically the person who is stood in front of the learner, um, particularly, and and it's going to be that person who curates that learning experience through that simulation-based mm. education process that we talked about in the previous episode around, you know, the briefing, the facilitation of that simulation, and then it's likely... Possibly the debrief as well. That they'll be but involved One of the advantages the of that is, is they've, because they've seen the event and, and been actively involved in it, they can then have some information that they can then lean back on in the debrief. On the flip side trying to facilitate simulation, trying to get everything just to run smoothly is a is a technique and a job in itself. Mm -hmm. And then having the cognitive bandwidth to then think about what you might want to do in debriefing afterwards is challenging. So, so something worth bearing in mind, if you are in that situation where you're the simulation facilitator, you've probably written a scenario as well, maybe if the module organiser, because that happens, isn't it? You're the yep. module organiser, you go, well, I can facilitate one of the simulations. So you end up wearing multiple hats simultaneously. Straight away, that, that bandwidth is getting reduced. Yeah, it, it, it definitely does uh, get reduced. So, yeah, so that facilitator's role is, it might be juggling those multiple hats, but importantly, it's about creating that sense of this is the learning experience. Mm. It's about pitching the the scenario to the students in the, the learners in the briefing. It's around um, fostering that environment mm. of psychological safety, as we'll go on to talk about in more detail yeah. in the next episode. Um, but it's about that kind of um, the actual student learner tutor simulation interface. Yeah. It's your job to, to make sure that sort of works. Yeah. And uh, uh, when you do more complicated simulations, so let's say you're doing it over multiple rooms and you've got multiple multiple facilitators working simultaneously, it's quite important that you have, there'll always be variation, but it's important that you have a baseline, a threshold, a standard that you reach. Mm. So going back to that simulation director coordinator role, having an, a, an opportunity to brief your simulation facilitators on the, on the morning or, or before the event is really important so that you can clarify things 
and and hopefully get every everyone to a, a set standard because in really complex sim you've got multiple working parts and multiple faculty members mm-hmm. you might you know you might be working with sort of five ten even more faculty trying yeah. to get a simulation event to, to work so and, and that's a really good point because actually one of the <coughs> responsibilities of that uh, simulation director coordinator role is almost to kind of create this kind of meta kind of simulation where actually you have a briefing with all of that faculty beforehand you run the simulation event which is all of the you know, sequential learning events that mm. you might be running for your learners. And then afterwards to to check in and to debrief your yeah. faculty yeah. and say, how, you know, how, how did the Sims go? What were your reactions? How can we improve this? Yeah. What, what can we learn for next time? So yeah, there's this kind of meta kind of component. in the simulation in the simula- within a simulation. <laughs> yeah, it starts to feel a bit like the matrix, but, um, but it, it's an important role. And then talking of debriefing, yeah. the simulation debriefer, who may be the same person as a facilitator, that's an important role, isn't it? Yeah, so again, there's lots of different ways to do it. You might run your simulation event and then because you've only got one room, for example, you might then step to the one side and then have to jump into the role of the debriefer. Mm-hmm. It might be that your debriefer is a completely separate member of staff who is <clears throat> maybe present with the observers in a, in a debrief space or a, a watching remotely. Uh, taking notes down and then they can unpack things in the debrief often maybe with the facilitator as well so you can kind of do some sort of co-debriefing but yeah and they don't have to be necessarily subject experts either no no in fact uh, i'd say if you are going to be doing debriefing you need to have some fundamental understanding of of how to run a good debrief so understanding the theory behind perhaps debriefing models and the educational theory around establishing psychological safety and all of those kind of things that's Mm -hmm. more important than perhaps knowing the the content specific stuff and it, if anything job. if anything sometimes it helps to to foster that kind of sense of mutual vulnerability yeah you know because you can ask that genuinely naive question uh, like, I, i've done it uh, yeah. multiple times excuse my ignorance yeah. but as a you know can we explore this topic um yeah. and that's actually quite a powerful tool as a simulation debriefer is, is being able to be sort of a step removed from the the charged energy that's just happened in the simulation event and, and to be kind of a fresh pair of eyes, if you like, from, yeah. a, from a debriefer's perspective. Okay, great. So, so those are the four main kind of roles that, w- that we have kind of sort of suggested in this yeah. kind of taxonomy of kind of educational slash um, academic roles. Um, it's really important that the, the other side of the, uh, of, the, um, of the simulation experience and often the unseen side, but equally important is the non-academic, the kind of technical yeah. and, and sort of administrative and support roles. Yeah, so let's have a look at those roles now. So again, if we just kind of give a, a basic overview of what we think the other roles in the simulation faculty, we've got the simulated patient or confederate role. Uh, that's a really, really important role. And we put little asterisks on there because it can often be played by the academic as well. So it's kind of a, a halfway house, mm-hmm. but uh, a really important role. We've got the simulation technician, and then we've got, if you're lucky, some administrative support as well. Mm. Um, and that doesn't always happen, but we'll talk about it in sort of a best case scenario. Sure. So let's look at those roles in a bit more detail. Yeah, the Confederates. I personally am a huge advocate for using Confederates in simulation. Yeah. I think we we it helps to emphasise that simulation is a, a deeply involved social endeavour. Yeah. So that we have to have people to interact with. To yeah. Make so simulation when we when effective. we when we say Confederate or simulated patient, what we're saying is it's it's someone who is playing the role of the the patient. Not always the patient. Maybe it's a service user or or someone else. Family involved member, lay person. In, yeah, family member, lay person. 
But importantly, they're part of the simulation experience in terms of they know what is going to happen in the simulation event and they can then help to steer it in the direction it's meant to go. Yeah. Because I think that's an important thing to distinguish because sometimes there is a thought that you can use other learners to play that role. And whilst you can in some instances, sometimes it can be a bit of a curveball and, and things can start to go off off piste a little bit. So the role of the simulation confederate or simulated patient is to help steer the simulation event in the direction it's supposed to travel Mm -hmm. yeah and you're absolutely right they whoever they are they need to have a clear briefing about what the intended direction of the simulation is um i do quite like using other learners in that role yeah um but i think it's and it's i think it's appropriate to do that depending on the context um and also because inviting actors has comes with a cost uh, and using a faculty member sometimes diminishes your ability to observe and facilitate. Um, But as long as there's a clear briefing, I feel like as long as they understand what the role they're playing, that can be, that can be really beneficial. Yeah. And I think the other, the other thing to just bear in mind with this, um, we have mentioned this before is your, the experience of a year one learner jumping into that role is very different from a year three learner. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, you, you, perhaps at slightly more of a risk of complication with a, a year one learner, particularly if they've not been in a, in a placement because they haven't got those concrete experiences to latch on yeah, to. Yeah, that's a very good point. If you've got a year three learner, they, they can put in some very, very mm. convincing performances. Yeah, so at the, it's a really good point because you want to involve as many people as possible in the simulation, but you don't want to degrade the fiction contract yeah. by having someone who's supposed to be playing a role that they really have no understanding of. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just where, but worth bearing in mind in terms of authenticity of your confederates and, and roles. You've talked about having actors. Mm. Actors are great. They obviously potentially come at a cost. Yeah. But if you can get someone who is the perhaps the same age as the simulated age, gender, patient, gender, yeah, that's you know, going to help, isn't it? Yeah. If you ask an eighteen-year-old pre-registration student to play the role of a seventy-five-year-old, straight away you, you're. You start to run into things that rub up against yeah. that 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 suspension of disbelief. So again, as, as as someone who's planning simulation, that's just something to bear in mind. Yeah. So the the next uh, and crucially important uh, role in the sort of non-academic technical side is the simulation technician. Now these yeah. guys really are the unsung heroes. Yeah, they absolutely they are. They do a lot of the, the stuff behind the scenes, from things such as booking the rooms to sorting out equipment provision. Uh, and again there's so much involved with that you know mm-hmm. it, it might be procurement of um consumable items it might be having to make sure that your expensive kit and equipment is well maintained and kept up to date and it might be working with academics to to plan in some of the technical aspects of those scenario writing you know if you've got one of these um <clears throat> technically very high fidelity patient simulators quite often you have to write those scenario scenarios in so that the simulators work in the in the way they're intended and the yeah. technical team are going to be the people that, that know how to do that yeah definitely and um my experience and i think that's a shared experience is that the earlier the, the, the simulation <clears throat> technician team are involved yeah. in the planning of simulation like you know months in advance can greatly enhance the uh, if the the the, ef- the efficiency, um, but also the effectiveness of those simulations. So, you know, e- early engagement with with the simulation technician team to think about not just equipment, but logistics. Yeah, and, and also it's, that it's so easy to forget that as well. And, and I'm sure a lot of the time it's unintentional. 
But yeah. when you're busy trying to plan a simulation event and write everything, it's really easy to think, oh, I haven't put my equipment request in. And, yeah. and actually my simulation event is now coming up because I'm a busy academic trying to do lots of different things at once. And it's, it's not an excuse, but it's certainly something to be much, much more aware of. Well, because it has a significant impact on the se- technician um, workload. Yeah, you know, like hugely. operating within a within a simulation centre is, is a complex undertaking. There's lots of moving parts behind the scenes. And to turn around and, to, and say, you know, with 24, 48, you know, even maybe a couple of days notice, oh, by the way, I need this, 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 this and this. That represents a massive bulge in the workload yeah, of that team. Particularly if your simulation technicians are going to be actively involved in delivering that simulation. Yeah. So if they are going to be operating some of the, the more... Higher level technology, so that as a simulation facilitator, you don't have that to have to worry about. Mm-hmm. They need to be well notified in mm-hmm. advance so that they can make themselves available for that. Yeah, you can't I mean, just turn up on the day and go, Oh, by the way, can you set up my patient simulator? No, like in the same way that you wouldn't turn around if you are an <coughs> academic to another academic and say, Oh, by the way, tomorrow I've got 15 scripts that need marking that day. <laughs> yeah, it's just, just wouldn't un- do it. completely unreasonable. Just wouldn't do it. it. So, so the simulation technician team, absolutely pivotal in the kind of simulation ecosystem. Yes, absolutely. The final group that we were talking mentioned, and we said if you're lucky enough to have this, is the kind of administrative support side. Yeah. Obviously, you know, it kind of does what it says on the on the tin. So these are the people that can help you with uh, doing things like finding your simulation facilitators, sending out emails. It might be even th- doing things like arranging tea, coffee, lunch, that kind of thing. Um, the thing that uh, me, myself as an academic, I'm really bad at. So mm. but having administrative support myself is, is, is hugely beneficial, but mm. it's not always there. So if it isn't, uh, that's probably going to be absolved in the simulation coordinator role, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. But but the, if they are available, and it's particularly if they have a role in coordination of rooms and facilities, mm. um, then it's, it's it's critically important that they are involved because you're not going to get the surroundings, the the, the rooms and the the kind of the, the space that you need unless you've got that kind of um, organisational infrastructure around the simulation event. It's no good having amazing learning outcomes and nowhere to teach it. And often yeah. the sort of administrative learning teaching support side are essential in ensuring that that you have the rooms you need. Yeah. So we've we've kind of hinted on this already, but in the best world, best case scenario, you've got lots of individuals all actively involved in simulation. So I think a take home message from this is it is hugely resource intensive doing simulation based mm-hmm. education well. In a worst case scenario, you're an academic or a non academic member of staff wearing multiple hats simultaneously, and that can be really really challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. It, it can be it can be bewildering if you if you don't have the right kind of understanding of all of the moving parts. That is why we again, and we'll come back to this in another video, advocate the use use of a complex system model like our site model mm-hmm. to help you understand all of those challenges and complexities. And particularly as a simulation organizer or coordinator, you can use that kind of model to help understand all of the, the working parts. So hopefully you won't miss bits. But mm. we'll come back to that in another video. We'll definitely come back to that. And it's, it's worth saying as well, there is another really important thing we need to come back to because there's a really, really crucial group uh, involved in simulation that we've not talked about in today's uh, podcast. And that's the learners. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the learners... The you final know, key, uh, the piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it, absolutely. So we, we've intentionally left them off uh, from this particular yeah. podcast because we wanted to look at essentially faculty uh, roles, you know, in simulation. Um, but we are, they're clearly integral to, yes. to, to simulation uh, and we'll address them more in our simulation safety video. Yeah, but uh, can I ask you a question before mm. we finish? Where could you put a learner into these roles? 
Well, you could put, I mean, in several of them, I think. I think you could definitely, and I've had experience of using simulation uh, learners to to part-write simulations. Um, certainly that's a really good exercise for some learners thinking about conceptualizing, you know, the learning outcomes and stuff. Um, you can um, certainly put them into roles um, potentially as, as co-debriefers. Yep. And that's a piece of work that we're, we're currently doing and that we've got some approval to do a study on is is really deepening that involvement of, uh, of, of observing learners as part of the debriefing team. I think an experienced learner, particularly like a, a maybe a third year pre-registration or post-reg could facilitate simulation with a little bit of with training, training of course. and coaching, this is not rocket science. It is, you know, it, it requires a, you know, a a good understanding of of some educational theory and some and and advanced communication skills. But there's no reason why learners can't do that. No, and we've already talked about the fact that they can play the role of a, a, a simulated patient or confederate as well. Of course. So, in summary, then, um, simulation based education is. Uh, a web of interdependent personnel. Mm. Um, and often, as you said, these roles are undertaken simultaneously by somebody wearing multiple hats. Yeah, and I, th- I think you should just understand that you have potential vulnerabilities when when that is the case. Uh, so my advice would be to try and foster and grow a simulation faculty uh, across disciplines that can help each other. Because like we, we mentioned, you know, I don't need a subject-specific expert to do debriefing. If I can get someone who's good at debriefing, regardless of what their background is, and they can come and help me. That's another job that I don't potentially have to do if I'm coordinating, facilitating, playing the role of a patient, you know, that kind of thing. Quite right. Um, it is resource intensive. It's yeah. definitely a thing to take away from this, that actually, you know, we talked about a lot of the sort of human type resources um, but clearly that's a lot of time and time you know is, is a is a precious resource in in um in higher education healthcare huge, simulation. hugely precious when when you consider the the wider scope of of uh, curriculum timetables competing demands and that kind of thing as well yeah and, and that's why as you said it's it's potentially quite useful to set up some kind of you know group uh you know cross inter inter faculty or you know cross discipline simulation group to try and start to coordinate some of that and to share ideas and to learn together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what have we covered today then, Tony? So let's recap the learning outcomes. So by the end of this video, you've hopefully been able to meet the following outcomes. To recall the key roles of individuals involved in the design and delivery of simulation-based education. Mm -hmm. To consider how key roles contribute to the delivery of simulation-based education. And to appreciate the complexity in fulfilling these roles, particularly within the constraints of healthcare education. Thank you very much. And thank you all for watching this video. We hope you've enjoyed it and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye.